so much about our Christian and Catholic life is about due reverence and honor to God. And I just want to reread and point out just how profound and important that first reading was today. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. It is I who arm you, though you know me not, so that toward the rising and the setting of the sun, people may know that there is none besides me. I am the Lord. There is no other. That is just as important a reminder for all of us here today as it was for the Jewish people, the Israelites, in the Old Testament to realize that. They came from a pagan world, but of course God reveals himself to them first. It's like, I am the, there is no other. Our world often tells us that there's all these different options, but Jesus tells us that there is not all these other options. He says, there's one and I'm him. It's an important distinction that we make as us in Christians. Some people might think it's an arrogant distinction, but we take Jesus at his word. There's um, a story I want to tell all of you today, and it's kind of, some of you who go to daily mass get to hear some repeats or snippets of these things already. But of course, as the week goes on and I ponder and I pray about the gospel, they kind of expand sometime. So you just get to know them all the better. So, so today, um, my, my best friend of 25 years, Bobby, happens to be here and, um, and he happened to be here with his, his son. And, and this is the nature of friendship, right? Um, Mike, our lector today, his wife Janelle, I would say, is a more social person and works here at St. Cecilia. Mike, a bit more quiet, maybe a little more like Father Brent. But again, me, as you've gotten to know, quite a bit more talkative. Father Brent doesn't say anything. Often these things happen. Bobby and I are similar to that in some ways. But the reason I bring this up is because he was here with his eight-year-old son uh, last week, and his son said something completely profound. Eight-year-old boy. He said, you know, of course, he used his terms for it, though. We notice there's a step up into the sanctuary. The sanctuary is treated as a sacred place. And so his son said, Dad, he's like, is there some kind of a force field around that area that like you can't get in unless you kneel or you bow and i was like that is brilliant you know of course it's not a force field you know per se but there is a cost of entry you kneel or you bow before the one true god if you all remember, I'm sure uh, our seminarian from the summer, Justin, would be proud of this, but if you remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, there is a part where he's going through all of the uh, kind of obstacles at the end to get to the grail, and there's a particular part where he says, you know, the penitent man shall pass, the penitent man shall pass, the penitent man, and then he, and then he realized the penitent man kneels before God, and that's what saves him from getting his head chopped off, right? And so that's that, that poignant part. But the penitent man, the penitent person, the one that has reverence and due honor to God, kneels before him. And it's so unbelievably important. I'm so glad when I got here, I was so thankful that our tabernacle is in its rightful place, elevated in the center of our church. We kneel before God. I had the, the privilege yesterday to be a part of the procession with the Archbishop 
um, for peace, processing from the, the cathedral all the way to the park blocks and then praying the rosary there. And, and to see him carrying our Lord in the Eucharist through the streets of Portland. Uh, it was a very profound thing. I am the Lord. There is no other. One of the things that we were reminded of not too long ago in the gospel is that just when Peter makes this amazing proclamation of who, who, who the Lord really is, he also has like one of his biggest stumbles and, and stupid things that he says. And he says, and so this part of the gospel goes like this. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. All the same people that are trying to entrap Jesus today when they ask him about Caesar. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. That last part is one of the most important things in that statement. You are thinking, you're not thinking as God does, but as human beings do. This is what we're trying to do. This is really the essence of that gospel today. It is not about the material things that you have on this earth, whether that be money or an earthly leader or any material thing. You, as a Christian, we actually have to put on the mind of God. That's one of the reasons that makes being a Christian so difficult is because we actually are called to stop thinking like the human beings that live on this earth and to start elevating our mind to the way that God thinks. And, you know, easier said than done, but it is a task that, that the Lord asks of us. One of the examples that I often give is that we need only take out the phone from our pocket or look at a tablet and realize that one popular brand, what's in front of all of those things? I, the iPhone, the iPad, it seeks to make us the center of everything. You know, and it's just like, ah, you know, like in the, the latest phone probably has an even better front-facing camera so you can get the absolute best selfie of yourself. <laughs> you know, and it's like a lot of I and a lot of self in that image. I mean, these things can be used for tools, as great evangelical tools and tools to communicate with our family, but they can also lead to our destruction. We can get so wrapped up in them. I mean, I'm old enough that when Bobby and I were younger, we made three different road trips to the Outer Banks from the Dallas, Texas area, which is a 26-hour drive one way, and we had a road atlas and no cell phones. What parent would ever let anybody do that these days? It sounds insane, but that was like completely normal back in our day. Oh, we're just going to take a quick 26-hour jaunt this way with a road atlas, you know, these two guys who just graduated from high school. Thank God my parents trusted us that much, but, you know, it was a great, it was a great adventure. But if we make these things that are in our life, in this material world, the center of things, we're on the wrong path. Of course, Jesus also says in another gospel, my kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. 
he's trying to allow everybody to understand that in this particular spot. And like I said, whether it be any of the material things we have, and also some of the things that sometimes seem to get in the way of our faith. I, I was praying one day, and it, it occurred to me this, this render unto Caesar what is Caesar's popped into my head when I thought about, you know, having to wear masks. We all hate it. Everybody hates it. But it's not something that ultimately gets in our way of our faith and our relationship with God. Do I think that it actually does come from some sort of spirit of evil uh, that, that Satan himself is actually active in this world? Yes, I do. And, and it actually does put a physical barrier between us, the people that we know and the people that we love. It, it, it creates separation and isolation. But again, it's something that we're dealing with on this world. It's like, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. That doesn't belong to God. And, and, it, and in the end, it doesn't really matter that much either. One thing that I've also talked about before that some of the daily mass parishioners certainly would have heard is that Aristotle put forth what was called the golden mean. And then the golden mean was taken by St. Thomas Aquinas and developed even more. And it was a very simple depiction, a very simple graphic depiction. There's one man running in this direction, one man running in that direction, and then one in the center. One is basically like the heroic fool or the, or the guy who fights no matter what comes his way. So everything that comes his way, he's always just a fighter, so always running headlong into battle. The other depiction is the coward, the one who, when trouble comes their way, they're always running away from it. But the Christian life, our balance, see, we've often heard it, heard, often heard it said before in Catholicism that we are a both-and faith. But often, people try to polarize you from one side to the other side. The golden mean, the path of virtue, is the person in the middle that can walk the center path of virtue. The reason that this is so hard, the reason that the Christian life is so difficult, is because that requires constant discernment and prayer. The moment that everybody walks out of this church and gets in their car and starts to get home, and somebody cuts you off, or you have to, you know, like, or something like that, there is going to be a moment that you get in this situation, and you oh, you're always deciding, what do I do now? What do I do next? There are moments in this life where we have to think, and we have to say, there are moments that I need to fight, and there are moments that I need to retreat so I can come back to fight another day. We have to be careful when people tell us all the truth is over here and all the truth is over here. With our own conscience, it's formed well. That's the thing I've often said about seminary. It's often just generally called being in formation. Formation in the Christian way of life, formation in the seminary, formation as a Catholic is not easy because formation in the seminary Basically, you submit, you willingly submit to people telling you, you all of your rough edges, all of the things that you're bad at and that you need to improve on. Are they also going to recognize your gifts and your talents? Yes, but much like marriage, they're going to point out a lot more of your flaws than your gifts and your talents, especially over time. 
but each vocation has some similarities to it. You willingly submit so that the other person can sharpen your very person, your very being, so that you could be oriented towards heaven. A married couple helps get each other to heaven. And I willingly submitted to the formation of the church for eight years, telling me that I talk too much and all the things that I'm bad at, that I'm still a little bit bad at, to help you get to heaven. It's a, it's a willing, that, that's not a lack of freedom. It's the ultimate freedom to willingly be submissive to something else. And once we're under the one Lord, that one true God that we bow down and give honor to, we have to constantly go out into the world with the mind of Christ and think, what is the right thing? You know, we've heard that. For, I remember it was on bracelets when I was in high school. You know, what would Jesus do? <laughs> and it sounds like a kind of a trite phrase, but it's extremely true. And we constantly think, with the resources that we have, what would Jesus do? What does my faith tell me to do? And it's a hard way to live, but it's the best way to live. Because even in our sufferings, in our difficulties, those things unite us to Christ's suffering on the cross, and we overcome great things in our life. The only, that, that suffering that exists, we often call the problem of evil, is because only God can create something greater that's beyond even our own conception out of the suffering that we experience. So we don't run away from it. We embrace it. Just as the same way we lean into it, just like Jesus did to the cross. As with all of these things, I say easier said than done. But when we go home, when we go out into the world, we just look at the things that might be distracting in our life. And if there's something that's pulling you down, that's, that, that's making you <laughs> divided on one side or the other, it's time to think about those things, uh, letting them go, <laughs> Let, letting go of it so that it doesn't do that to us anymore. For many of my own friends and people my age, it's been <laughs> you know, deleting social media accounts or at least spending less time on them or something like that because sometimes you can just see the agitation and the anxiety that it causes in our lives. So we do that. When we leave this church today, we go out into the world and we discern all aspects of our life. And we let ourselves be formed by our faith, by those that love us, those that we willingly submit to, so that we can orient our gaze to heaven because this life is fleeting. That's why we render things unto Caesar, the things of this world are the things of this world, but they're passing away. We need to be oriented towards heaven. And that requires constant discernment, constant prayer. But the reason that we're all here is because we're up for the task. Because we've accepted that Jesus is the one true God. God bless you all today.